Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Some good stuff from TNA, plus Eric weighs in on the day's wrestling news. You listen to them, now hang out with us. This is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olsen. That's me. I'm Maria Menunos, and you're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz begin. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show that is for all the 83 Weeks fans. It was really fun to take a look back at TNA Lockdown this week. And, uh, of course, there's some other great stuff to discuss today as well. You know the whole crew. We have digital producer Steve Kaufman and independent wrestler George Hermosa with us. Hey, guys. Just reading here. Uh, well, that's fine. You just go ahead because we have our usual special guest here tonight. That doesn't make it any less special. You guys know him as the host of 83 Weeks. Eric Bischoff, how the heck are you doing tonight? Oh, this is awesome. Can you hear the crowd? Can you hear them? And, and, and George reading up, he's boning up now on the Hulk Hogan book. It took him two weeks to get through Controversy Creates Cash. Which That's right. Surprised about that because there's a lot of pictures in that book and really big print type. So um, I'm surprised it took you that long. I'm sure you were busy, but now you're into the meat of it. You're, you're, yeah. Did you, did you know that Hulk Hogan came up with the AJ Styles kind of mimicking the Ric Flair storyline? Uh, actually, I did. Oh, wow. I think we talked about that on uh, oh, on yeah. 82 weeks this past week. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, I, I think I heard something <laughs> about that. That was a pretty good little bomb to drop there, Eric. Yeah, a little truth bomb, a little fact bomb. Those are always fun. Surprise people. You little like tidbit of information they didn't otherwise know. That's what 83 weeks is all about. <laughs> That's cool. We did get lots of that. And of course, today also uh, a lot of people getting some news that maybe they didn't love so much. And a couple of them actually providing a great segue for us appeared on the 2010 episode uh, of the 2010 pay-per-view TNA lockdown. I'm talking about Kurt Angle, Eric Young. We're in the news today. Eric, what's your first reaction when you hear that WWE feels that they need to cut talent and furlough employees at this time? I think, you know, like most people, um, my heart goes out, my thoughts go out, I should say, and, and to, 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 to some degree, my heart, because some of these people I know, and some I know quite well, and have worked with and I'm friends with, but, you know, many of them I don't know, but, but nonetheless, you know, you can't help but feel bad for them, and, you know, I want to take a minute to, to you know, talk about why, you know, to a degree, you know, wrestling is, professional wrestling is not like any other business, really. Um, maybe you could draw some parallels to professional sports, but so many of the talent, you know, that get into professional wrestling get in at a very young age, either in lieu of college or right after college, and they spend 5, 10, 15, 16, 20 years in the industry. And I think, you know, reading some of the social media posts by some of the individuals that were let go, some of them have been with WWE for 10 years, 15 years or more. Um, it's not easy to pick up and apply those jobs, job skills that you've acquired and perfected over the last decade or more to another line of work. So it's, it can be shocking, you know, anytime you get let go, and I guess I can speak from experience, right? 
Um, anytime you let go, it's a little bit of a shock to the system. And, you know, you're kind of dazed and confused and wondering what's going to happen next. But, um, you know, a lot of that talent, a lot of, if not all of the talent that was like our, our look, if they, if they didn't have a high degree of skill and talent and abilities, um, they wouldn't have been there in the first place at WWE. So uh, things will turn around. It'll get better. Um, I think, you know, I, I said this to, uh, to Drake Maverick, actually, in a post not too long ago. You know, take the opportunity to just, you know, reflect a little bit, um, recharge, and just get ready to return, you know, stronger than ever. Take advantage of the time off, you know, to heal up if you've been on the road a lot, you know, over the last year or two or ten. Uh, think about your career. Think about your character. Think about some new ways that you can modify and evolve that character to make it even more entertaining. Uh, take an acting class online. You don't even have to, you know, to, to take a class in person. Learn how to write comedy. Learn how to do anything other than things you already know to to help improve your ability to be entertaining when we all come out of this. And we will. It may be a month. It may be six months. Who knows? Maybe a year. I don't know. Nobody knows right now. Everybody's guessing. But regardless of how long it is, take advantage of the opportunity and, and make it work for you. And Try not to get depressed and just remember, you know, the reason you were in WWE for as long as many of you were, I'm speaking to you directly now, um, you were there for a reason. And the reason is that you had a tremendous amount of talent and a lot of potential. So just uh, remember that and uh, keep putting one foot in front of the other and it'll all get better. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's a pretty long list now. Were there any names that you were really shocked to hear they would let go? Um, no, I mean, it was, I mean, look, you know, some of those names and I'm not going to point them out. Some of those names were people who we had not seen on television in a long time. Uh, and there were names that, while we may have seen them on television from a, a, a time or two recently, they weren't regular roster players and didn't have regular story. I think Rusev was probably the, you know, the biggest name on the list, biggest active current name of talent on the list. Um, that surprised me a little bit. He's been gone for a long time. He's still a little bit of a fresh character. I don't know what the backstory is with him, uh, what the situation is with him. Perhaps his contract was coming up anyway. I don't know. There's so many things I don't know. I don't even want to comment on it. But that was the one name that I went, wow, that's a pretty big name who's recently been fairly active on the roster. I was a little bit surprised at that. Well, from a business standpoint of wrestling television, do you look at people who are making the most, but appearing the least? Do you look at people who don't sell merchandise well, or people who were looking to leave anyway? What do you think would be the factors there? I, I, I think there's probably all of the above and probably more that we can't, uh, that we can't know right now. Look, you, you, I'm guessing, obviously, I haven't talked to anybody today at, at WWE or any of my friends that work there. Um, I haven't, haven't had a conversation in over a week now with anybody there. So I have no idea what the process was, but I would imagine it was a consensus. I would imagine that there was a group of people, uh, including Paul Heyman and Bruce Pritchard and obviously Vince and, and others, uh, who got together and probably looked at a lot of different categories. Um, who are we using? Who are, when was the last time we saw Wrestler X on television? What do you mean we haven't used them in six months? You know, they're still on the payroll. We can't afford that luxury anymore. 
Um, perhaps merchandising did, you know, factor into it, although I doubt that that was a big factor. Um, I'm sure there were any number of them. Probably, you know, when are these contracts, you know, how close are we to, to some of these contracts coming up anyway, as I mentioned earlier with regard to Russo. So I, I don't know what the criteria was, but clearly this was a list of, of talent that they felt that they didn't have the luxury right now to, to keep on the roster. And they, look, that'll change. You know, some of the agents they let go, I mean, I was probably more surprised at agents than I was at talent um, because some of those agents I know a lot better than the talent. You know, Kurt Angle, obviously very high profile. Um, Kurt hasn't been an agent or producer, I should say, uh, for very long now, maybe eight months or a year or something like that. I guess he came in shortly before I did last summer, so I'm not really sure how long he's been there. But Billy Kidman, Fit Finley, come on. Fit. I mean, and I, uh, you know, I want to say this with respect to everybody. I'm not, I, I, please, I don't dis mean any disrespect by anybody, but I do have a pretty good sense of how much respect Fit Finley and, and, and Billy Kidman had amongst their peers and amongst management in WWE. And to see someone, especially like Fit Finley, I know how much respect he had in WWE amongst everybody talent management alike. So th that to me said it was a very serious situation to let a guy like Fit Finley go. Not that he's any more talented than anybody else, but there was a certain amount of respect for Fit that was measurable. And uh, that's, that's the one that made me go, wow, this was a, this was a serious move. This wasn't a knee jerk reaction. This isn't, wasn't a move that happened without, you know, giving it a lot of thought and consideration because that's a, that's a big loss. Uh, a guy like Fit, you can't you can't hire that kind of experience out in the open market. Um, now that being said, uh, when things turn around and they will, uh, I would imagine that Fit and Billy and some of the other names on that list, Kurt Angle, will be some of the first names that come back. Um, but it is what it is. It's, it, it's, it was a tough decision, I'm sure, and I think it reflects where we're at in our economy. Absolutely. And I'm sure our live viewers have a lot of questions for you on this. We're going to start with a super chat from Ken terminated by Google. He wants to know, Eric, AJ worked in WCW for a short period. Did you see him as a potential star like Vince did when he came in? I feel sorry about AJ without the OC. So he is referring to um, Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows being cut today from WWE. We're steer off a little bit and talk about his work in WCW, his short time there. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm sure I'm going to get a ton of heat for this, but I don't even remember him being there. I'm not sure that I, that he and I crossed paths when he was in WCW. We keep in mind, there was a lot of people in WCW. There was a lot of talent and some of which I didn't really interface with much. Uh, you know, when I got to TV, I had my hands full. I was dealing primarily with talent that was on TV and there were a lot of talent that may have been there, uh, especially newer talent, younger talent, enhancement talent to a degree that I really didn't have a chance to interface with. So as much as I hate to say it, um, I don't really remember crossing paths with AJ and, and WCW. Okay, well, that, it's, it's okay, Eric. Uh, and I do want to shout out everybody who is watching us live tonight. You guys, you know, you can always tune in. We do this Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific on the 83 Weeks channel. Hello to James and Teddy and Michael. And holy moly, there's a lot of you hanging out with us. Hello, DB. Welcome. I don't think I've ever seen you before. Ben, VNX. 
make sure you guys are getting your questions in for Eric. Hello, Andrew. Wow. We love that they're tuning in. Guys, I'm sure you have some questions for Eric after this uh, very juicy TNA lockdown episode of 83 Weeks. I do, I do want to kind of divulge into the mind of, of Eric when it comes to TNA, but just kind of one more question in regards to, from me in regards to today's news. Uh, I've been hearing a lot of uh, blame and just kind of negativity toward the WWE. Do you think it's fair for WWE to take a lot of the blame? A lot of uh, things are saying like they're trying to cut off costs, but yet they're paying somebody like a Bill Goldberg a lot of money for WrestleMania for such a short appearance. Uh, do you think it's fair to blame WWE in this situation? No, I think it's ignorant primarily ignorance, and I don't mean that necessarily in a derisive way. I mean it in the, the literal definition of ignorance. People don't know. You know, there's a lot of, you know, use Bill Goldberg as an example since you brought him up. Whatever deal they had with Bill was a deal that had been contemplated and executed based on business conditions at the time. And you can't just go back in time and unwind those things. Um, so, you know, nobody, nobody saw this coming. Nobody anticipated this. Look, this is just the beginning. You know, WWE is what we're all talking about. It's very high profile. It's been in the news. It's a media company so, with 25 million, you know, fans around the world and whatever it is, 140 different countries or something like that. So obviously when something of this magnitude happens to the business, we're all going to be talking about it. We're all going to know about it. But there are companies all over this country, all over the world, that are shutting down and laying off thousands of people at a time. Um, it's no different for WWE. Yeah, we're more aware of it. But, you know, to, to, to without any background, without any information, without taking into consideration all of the dynamics of everything that happened before, the coronavirus and the impact that it's had on our industry uh, to, to kind of go back and say, yeah, but they're firing this guy or furloughing this guy or whatever. And look how much money they're paying Bill Goldberg just kind of reflects how stupid some people are and how reflexively ignorant that they are when they're on social media. That's true. Well, and uh, Maurice Barlow in the chat, he said, hello, Mr. Bischoff. He wants to know if you were given a heads up on what happened today. And of course, you've said many times that you don't get insider info. But what I would like to know is, does anyone ever call you and ask your opinion? Like, hey, <laughs> do you see something in this guy before we let him go? <laughs> no, um, th that would probably be a career death sentence. Uh -oh. um, <laughs> If the if the word got out that I was being consulted on those types of decisions, uh, now that wouldn't be a good thing for anybody. Um, and, and no, and, and I wouldn't expect. I mean, I would be hot if I was Vince and found out that people were reaching out to people outside of the company to get input on internal decisions like that. That would be that would be a fireable offense under under my rules of engagement. Uh, but no, and look, I, you know, I, I I don't know if I've said it here on the show or if I've said it to Conrad, but. You know, I'm, I'm, Bruce Pritchard is the person that I'm closest to, you know, on a regular basis in, in WWE. I'm, I'm close to others, but Bruce is the one that I talk to all the time. But when Bruce and I talk, I never ask him about business because I, I know how unprofessional that would be of me to ask, especially a friend, because now I'm putting a friend on the spot and I'm asking a friend a question that I know that he knows he shouldn't be answering or engaging it. It's just not the way business should be conducted. I'm a firm believer in that. 
So rather than putting one of my best friends in an awkward situation, we never talk about business. Now I'll ask him how travel is or what city he was in last week and what, how the crowd was, or, you know, things like that. Very, very general things. But in terms of, you know, anything of this magnitude, Bruce or anybody that I know within WWE would be the last people that I would openly discuss any of that with because it, it puts them in a bind. It puts them in a, in a tough spot and potentially could cost them their job as it should. So uh, uh, p- pivoting to TNA, George Booker in the super chat who gave us a five pound super chat, which I'm going to have to check the conversion rate later, um, says, how's it going, Eric? I wanted to know if there were any plans to ever do a Hogan versus Flair singles match in TNA for a pay-per-view around 2010. No, by the time, even in 2010, Hogan's back was so messed up that getting him out to the ring, literally getting, and I'm not exaggerating here, getting him to the ring uh, to cut a promo was quite an accomplishment. So no, there was no, there was no thoughts or discussions about it whatsoever. Speaking of super chats, uh, Robert Shrek in the chat gave us $20 American. Hey, Eric, hope all is well from Arizona. When the WWE calls them back and says, hey, you guys, please come back. I hope some talent says, no, we're not entertained anymore. We're elite. By the way, Mike Kyoto, sad. So Robert thinks they're not going to go back when they can. They'll tell him to shove it. I don't see that happening. Eric? Uh, I don't either, but you never know. Look, I'm sure... You know, take a guy like Eric Young. Eric Young's been around a long time. Um, amazing talent. We talked a lot about Eric Young, I think, on 83 mm-hmm. Weeks. At least a little bit we talked about him. Amazing talent, really. Very unique. Uniquely gifted talent. Um, but he never really quite broke through, you know, to, to the level that I'm sure he aspired to and, and maybe some fans aspired for him to. Um, but at this stage in Eric's life, I'm not sure the grind of, of being on the roster and not really being used is that attractive to him. Now, if he was 25 years old, 28 years old, single, you know, no life outside of wrestling. Sure. Why not? But I'm guessing at the, and I don't know Eric very well, but I, I'm guessing at the stage of his life, having been on this train now for a long time, he may be ready to, to follow another path or go in a different direction. But a lot of the younger talent, some of the talent that's been active, um, do I see them turning down an opportunity to come back? I don't think so. The, the positive spin is I wish that for them. I wish that they have so much going on when the door opens again that maybe, they, maybe they're making more elsewhere. Well, I mean, let's take a snapshot of reality as it exists today. Where can they go? They can, you know, theoretically at least, they could go to AEW, but how, how bloated can that roster get? They don't do house shows. They don't tour. You know, they do a pay-per-view once a month or whatever it is. Um, uh, you know, nobody's really talking about it. You know, they, as, as opposed to WCW, when guys like Dave Meltzer and everybody couldn't wait to disclose internal information about WCW that was leaked to them, uh, by talent. You don't hear any of that coming out of AEW. I have a pretty good idea um, what some of the talent is making, and it's astronomical sums of money compared to what even some of them have ever made at the peak of their careers in WWE or WCW. So there's a, there is a significantly 
there's a substantial talent budget there. And it's a, it's a, it's a talent budget for a roster that isn't generating a lot of revenue other than television. And of course, pay-per-view. So how, how many top talents, how many of those names from WWE can AEW afford to hire? And if they bring in three, four, five, or maybe they only bring in one, that makes sense. One or two of those, the, the bigger names, I'm sure. Eric Rowan is a guy that, you know, I'm, I'd be surprised if they're not looking at that got released. Super guy, by the way. Love working with him uh, in WWE. But there's a handful of talents that I'm sure AEW is thinking about right now. But to think that they're going to absorb eight or nine or ten people, it's not real, not realistic. I don't think. I don't know the AEW's operations. I don't know what their plans are. But just sitting here knowing what little I know doesn't make a lot of sense to me. They've got a pretty good roster right now. Um, don't seem to have a lot of weak links in it. So who would you cut from the current roster to bring in whomever you would choose to bring in from AEW or from WWE. I don't know, but it doesn't seem realistic. Now the independent scene, when things finally change and that that's a little murky to me because while I hear a lot and we've all hearing, we're all hearing the same things. If we're paying any attention to the news, you know, the federal government, the administration wants to open things up as soon as possible. Every individual state has a different point of view on that because they're all facing different conditions and situations here in Wyoming. You know, there was one coronavirus case in the entire County that I live in, which is about the size of fucking Rhode Island. Um, so could they open up here right now and probably not experience any kind of a serious issue? Yeah, probably until all the tourists start coming in during the summer, because this is a tourist based economy here in Wyoming, at least where I live. Uh, so that'll change. I don't know when, you know, big events, live events are going to open up again. I think it's going to be a slow roll. So I, you know, I don't know, you know, theoretically, some of those talents could be making some pretty big money out on the independent circuit, but when is the independent circuit going to open up again? Could be six months, could be a year, could be longer. Who knows? I want to talk about some of that talent that you mentioned, um, Eric Young in particular. You on this episode of 83 Weeks compared him with Kurt Angle and saying that they could both have the ability to be very real. Do you think that those two could do a graveyard style match somewhere, anywhere with whatever company now that they're both have been released? I, I, well, would my you suggest it? My, my first reaction is no. I mean, look, Kurt's, I mean, Kurt's a, Kurt's a household name, you know, in the wrestling world. He's a, he's a, he's an icon. Um, Eric, not so much. You know, what would the draw be? There's no story there. There's no, I mean, I don't see it. And outside of WWE, I don't think anybody really has the capability of putting together the quality of, of a match like the Boneyard match or the Firefly Funhouse. It's not a shot. It's not a dig. It just is what it is. And it has a lot more to do with, you know, the WWE production infrastructure. Their capabilities are second to none, and it's all in-house. Do you have to go out of house to freelancers or to an outside production company to help you produce something like that? Would be would be very very expensive. And like I said, with Eric Young and, and Kurt, I just don't think there's enough of a draw there to justify that. 
Interesting. Well, uh, Frankie Kazarian was another guy that we saw um, on lockdown. He's currently with AEW as a tag team performer. Uh, he's been tag team champion there uh, with SoCal Uncensored. Have you been able to check out what he's doing at AEW? And um, what do you think of it after having worked with him 10 years ago at TNA? I love I love Frankie. Christy Daniels and Frankie Kazarian were two of my favorite people to work with in, in AEW. I described them on AD, or excuse me, in, in uh, TNA. Uh, who are in AEW. Um, I, you know, I talked a little bit about uh, Christy Adels and Frankie uh, on 83 Weeks. And one of the things I loved about those two guys is, uh, as I described them this week on the podcast, they're like creative entrepreneurs. You know, an entrepreneur is always looking for the next big opportunity or the next big product. They're always out there. You know, they're, they're on the frontier. They're, they're looking for that next big idea. And, you know, Chris and, and Frankie were constantly, constantly pitching ideas or pitching ways to improve an idea or pitching new characters or pitching new finishes. Or They were always coming to me and pitching something. And they, were, they did it in such a positive way that, you know, it's not like somebody coming into your office or stopping you in the hallway, you know, 20 times a day to pitch an idea that you go, oh, God, please, not again. Shoot me if he pitches me another idea. It wasn't that. It was every time they'd pull you aside and say, hey, I've got an idea. Do you have time to listen? It was like, all right, here we go. Because they, they were really good. They had a lot of great ideas. And they, they had an energy. And that's really what it was for me more than anything. When, when the chemistry is right, when the energy is right, and when the intentions are right, meaning nobody's being selfish, nobody's got some hidden agenda, you know, in, in hidden, you know, somewhere in the weeds. Um, when the intentions are right, the chemistry is right, and the energy is right. I, those are the type of people I love to create with because you never know what's going to happen. You, I mean, you just don't know. It's it's like, you know, buying a lottery ticket. You know, there's a chance it might not be good, but there's a chance you could win a hundred million dollars. You know, and and it's always fun. That's why I felt about those guys. And yeah, I follow them in in AEW and. You know, I, they're just two of my favorite people. I can't, I can't say enough good things about them. There's so many TNA questions that I have, and I'm hoping to get all of them before we're done. But the first thing I want to say is, because you mentioned it before uh, about Wyoming being a tourist attraction. So I wanted to ask Steve and Christy, at, once this is all over, if we can hit up Wyoming, because apparently it's a great tour. I, I don't know. I never really thought of it. Like, what's like one of the best places to do during the summer in Wyoming? Well, it depends what your interests are. You know, obviously Yellowstone National Park is literally right down the road from where I live. Um, so that's kind of a big deal. People come here from all over the world uh, during the summer. This is a town that is typically around 9,000 or 10,000 people this time of year by typically, now I don't know what it's going to be this year, but typically by June to July, there's 15 or 18,000 people in town at any one point. Now they're coming, you know, they're going through, they're coming on the way to Yellowstone or they're coming back from Yellowstone and they're, they're in the area, but um, it's, it's a very, very popular area for hiking, camping, fishing, that type of thing during the summer. Jackson Hole, Wyoming is probably other than Aspen is probably one of the celebrity hotspots, go-to spots in the U S I know where Christy's staying at. <laughs> I'm interested. Yeah. 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 In fact, Jackson Hole, Wyoming is the city that, you know, there's a saying in Jackson Hole. It's where the billionaires run all the millionaires out of town. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of true. 
it's kind of true. So that's a really cool place, but it all just depends on what you like to do. All right. So back to wrestling, uh, you, you, we, you know, you guys, you talked about a little bit about Frank Xarian and a big thing that was uh, in TNA program at the time was fortune. How was that kind of created? Like whose idea was it to figure out who's going to be in the fortune group? Oh God, you guys always ask me whose idea was it? And I always give you the same answer. It was a bunch of different people. It was a, it was a group of people. It was not, there wasn't one, one person calling those shots. You know, at various times when I was in W, or excuse me, I get them all mixed up. I've been to so many places. Um, when I was in TNA, um, look, when I first got there, as we discussed on the podcast, I, I, I didn't want anything to do with booking. You know, I, I, I had to kind of oversee Hulk Hogan's creative because that's what I was brought in for. Essentially, that was it. Whatever else happened that didn't involve Hulk Hogan, I wasn't really interested in. That wasn't my responsibility. Not that I didn't care, not that I didn't want to watch it, but it wasn't, it just wasn't in my, you know, list of things to get done every day. Uh, so I'm not sure how a lot of that stuff came about. Now, as time went on and I got more involved, the ideas for fortune and things like that became more of a collaboration with, with myself included, but it, it, it wasn't my call per se. I had, a, look, I had a lot of influence. I'm not going to deny that because of my personality, not because of my job title, not because of my contract. In fact, my contract specifically talked about the things that I wasn't going to have any responsibility with. It just so happens though, that, you know, proximity and just everybody getting used to the situation. There was a lot of concern, I think about me and my reputation before I got there. And then just after a while, I just started chipping in and throwing some ideas in. And before I knew it, I was kind of in the middle of it all. And I do have a strong personality. I do have a strong opinion about certain things and I'm, pretty articulate when I'm passionate about certain things and uh, had a lot of influence as a result, but it wasn't my, sh my call. I didn't have final say in anything in, in TNA, especially on the business side. I had no, no say in any of that. Uh, on the creative side, I had influence timed in at some point. So it, it's not like you had one kind of dictator sitting at the end of the table with a pen and a pencil going, you know what I mean? It wasn't that. Uh, Robert Murphy in the chat says, if it's bad, just blame Vince Russo. Well, because the yeah. odds are good. You know? <laughs> I mean, if it sucked, it made absolutely no fucking sense, and you want to blame Russo, yeah, you got about an 80, 85% shot of being right. Um, good. At this time in 2010, Paul Heyman had been on multiple interviews uh, speaking about TNA, claiming that if he were in charge, he would fire most wrestlers, I think he said over 45 and anyone who remained like a Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan, he would only use to put over young talent. W did you differ from that opinion or did you not get involved? You know, that's a really, that's a very popular thing to say within the internet wrestling community because the people that react to that in a, a statement like that in a positive way, don't really know the business of the wrestling business if from a business perspective, that statement were a true statement and a, and, a, and, a, and a smart way to approach the business, why are we still seeing John Cena? Why are we still seeing Undertaker? For Christ's sake, how old is AJ Styles right now? Um, 
Christianios who we're just talking about is 50 years old. You know, I don't know how old Frankie Kazarian is, but he's probably in his mid 40s. You know, there's a lot of talent out there that are older that still draw big money. But, you know, when you say, you know, this was Vince, this is one of Vince Russo's favorite gimmicks, you know, it's like, no, man, we got to build for the future. We got to build for the future. We got to build for the future. You know, Vince McMahon did it too. You know, when WWE, or excuse me, when WCW was kicking WWE's ass, the first thing he did was make fun of how old all of our talent was until he could bring them back. <laughs> then he was making money with them. Like Bill Goldberg, who's paying like $3 million a year or whatever it is I read in the paper uh, or online. So, you know, you can make statements like that to kind of get yourself over with the wrestling community because it's the kind of thing they love to hear. But when you sit down and start doing the math in terms of who's drawing, who's selling pay-per-views, who could fill up an arena or in TNA's case, a soundstage, um, the, the dynamics of the conversation start changing really, really quickly. I personally think Paul Heyman got the best deal by visiting TNA and then deciding not to be involved. So now, so then he gets to go and be like, well, I would have done that, but I didn't do it. Well, I, look, I, I, I really respect Paul Heyman. I, I, you know, I, I, I've known Paul since like 1988. Paul Heyman and I worked together in AWA in Minnesota. Um, that's when I first met Paul. So I've got a long history with Paul Heyman. And it's a, it's a colorful history. There were times when uh, we got along pretty good, and there were times when we didn't get along so good. And there were times when we were trying to pull the rug out from, from underneath each other just for fun. Um, so, you know, I, but at the end of it all, you know, especially my, my most recent, you know, experience with Paul and WWE, I have a massive amount of respect for Paul, but Paul is a good salesman. Paul's a good manipulator. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Paul knows how to manipulate the audience. It's why he's so good at promos. He knows how to do it. He knows how to get the reaction that he really, really wants. And that ability, that psychology, that instinct, it's probably what it is more than anything else. That instinct to say the right thing at the right time is one way to really not only get yourself over, but to position yourself in a way that you want to be positioned. And, you know, no disrespect to Paul. And I hope if he hears this, he understands what I'm trying to say. Um, but he was a master at it, still is. I hope Paul Heyman hears this. Um, <laughs> another guy that the live viewers want you to talk about is Jimmy Snuka. Patrick Halpenny asks, what were your thoughts on Jimmy Snuka? He said he just watched The Dark Side of the Ring, and, and others in the chat are wondering if you caught that episode, and what were your thoughts on it? No, I didn't. I'm going to try to watch it tonight, uh, actually. I, you know, I've been on this binge lately, um, trying to work out and eat healthy and all that stuff, and I usually get up at 4.30 this morning I got up at three because my, my dog woke me up at three because she was bored and I'm usually in bed by like eight 30 or nine every night. So um, I didn't watch it last night, but I think I'm going to stay up and watch it tonight. I really want to check it out. Are you going to be appearing on any more episodes this season? I haven't had a conversation with them. Uh, I've, I love the work they do. Um, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy the, the, the producers and the directors. So I hope I get to do something with them again because I love the quality of the work, but I haven't talked to them in about six months. Uh, shout out to Michael Mackey in the chat. He gave us $2 Australian to ask who picks Eric's clothes. He's always looking trendy. 
I'm looking what? Always looking trendy. Trendy. Oh, uh, this. I mean, I think this thing came from Stitch Fix. Um, oh, you're a Stitch Fixer. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, and I love their stuff. And they were our sponsor on 83 weeks, so um, I had to check it out. So yeah, anything I wear that's trendy, believe me, I didn't buy it because. If I did, in fact, I, you know, I wear a lot, of, you know, if you see me wearing a camouflage sweatshirt, that's, that's my style, you know, any kind of a hooded sweatshirts, usually my style, but all my stuff is either gray, black, or brown. So if you see me wearing something blue, it's probably from Stitch Fix, or it was a gift from my wife or my daughter. Well, for those who are asking, I got this for free from going to the Dodger game. Uh, but a question for back to TNA is what, do you remember what their business plan was or maybe like a mission statement was like when they first came and maybe they didn't have any, but like when they first came in, like what exactly was their goal? Like what were they trying to accomplish? Uh, Cause my thing is like, if they want to be mainstream that they're doing it all wrong. Um, and I'll say why maybe afterwards, but do you remember what, what they exactly what they were trying to accomplish? Uh, you know, whether or not you were there or not. No, I have no idea. And I don't think they did either really. And it, I mean, look, Nobody there had any experience in television and or professional wrestling. Um, I think th there was probably, you know, I think Dixie Carter probably had a vision. I don't know what it was. I'm sure she had an idea of what she wanted. You know, look, she wanted TNA to be as big as it could be. There you go. That was her strategy. That was her vision. She didn't have any idea how to get there. And, you know, she did her best. I don't mean to beat up on Dixie because I actually like Dixie as a person. I like hanging out with her. I like her husband, you know, Serge. I get along with him really well on a personal level. On a business level, I wanted to take a ball peen hammer to myself uh, when I had to deal with them. Dixie, not, not Serge. But um, I don't think anybody there had any kind of a strategic vision or tactical approach how to get there. It was like, oh, let's bring in Kurt Angle, let's bring in Sting, let's bring in Dusty Rhodes, let's bring in Booker T, let's bring in Kevin Nash. Okay, well, that's not really working. Let's bring in Hulk Hogan. Let's bring in Ric Flair. Well, that's not really working. Um, I don't think they had a plan. And if they did, I didn't know it. Well, did you ever want to come in and say, all right, this is what needs to be done. Let's come up with a mission statement for our company. Let's come in with a business plan. Did you ever try to get involved in that way? Well, Not Eric, were you even really that invested in their success? Like, did you really care enough to try to do that? I, I did towards the, you know, towards the middle, like to, by about 2000, yeah, 2012, when I started really getting more involved. Um, and then I got pretty passionate about it and uh, pushed pretty hard to, to, to try to change the way they were looking they meaning TNA management were looking at things, but keep in mind, I had no interface with Janice Carter or Bob Carter who were really calling the shots. You know, there were other people there, you know, that you know, Creed Williams was one of their attorneys. I think that had a lot of influence internally, you know, there, Dean Broadhead was, I'm not even going to go there. Uh, we'll just let that go. Um, there were a number of people in, in the office that I just didn't really talk to too often or interface with, but they were highly influential on the business side of things. Now, Dixie, I did talk to quite a bit and I saw opportunity. This, you know, I said this on, on the podcast, 
one of the things, you know, one of the reasons why I still have a bad taste in my mouth about TNA wasn't the people, you know, it, it really wasn't, you know, there were some of them that I could have done without, but for the most part, you know, I, I liked them and they were, they were, they were cool people. Um, but to blow the opportunity that they had, and this was really, you know, above Dixie Carter's head, to blow the opportunity that they had with Spike TV at the time, Viacom, to this day gets me pissed off if I think about it too much. They were in a perfect position. Going back to, remember, you know, this, this might not resonate with you guys, but do you remember when UFC left Spike TV? Oh, yeah. Okay. Spike TV, they were hot. They were pissed off because they felt, and justifiably so, they felt, they meaning management at, at Viacom, Spike TV, Kevin K in particular, um, that they had helped build that franchise. And they did. If you look at UFC's business prior to the reality show on Spike, I can't remember the name of it now. What was it? Ultimate, Ultimate Fighter? Fighter? Ultimate Fighter, yeah. Um if you look at if you look at UFC prior to Ultimate Fighter on Spike TV, the business was losing money. It was losing money more money than WCW was losing in 1992 and 1993. They were losing $30, 40, 50 million dollars a year. And with no hope of, of ever recouping any of it until Ultimate Fighter came along. And all of a sudden things kind of turned. Now there were other, you know, fairly they were doing UFC was doing other things at the same time, but UFC and, and, and ultimate fighter probably wouldn't exist to the level we know it today. Had it not been for the ultimate fighter on spike TV. So when they left, when Dana White made the decision to go elsewhere, go to Fox and yeah, they went to Fox. Um, Kevin Gay was like, that's it. We're never ever going to build up somebody else's brand without having a piece of the equity. I'm paraphrasing now. Um, don't quote me on that. But, and I, I went, wow, now here's an opportunity. And I pushed it really, really hard from both sides, from inside of TNA. I was pushing it to anybody that would listen and certainly having conversations um, with Viacom and Spike. And there was an appetite there. There was a potential there. Had that occurred, we would be watching TNA or a version thereof on Paramount TV right now. That opportunity was there and they fucked it up. <laughs> so oh, wow. That's strong. Well, we are running out of time, but Eric, before we let you go, we have got to get your thoughts on Ronda Rousey calling wrestling fake and WWE fans ungrateful. What is your reaction? Um, I, you know, I don't know Rhonda, so... It's hard for me to, I mean, look, I think it was a silly thing to say. Um, you never know when you're going to go back. Take it from me. <laughs> Take it from me. I should be the expert on that. I should be able to write a book on that, about never burning bridges, because no matter how much you think you're never going to go back, you often get that opportunity. And why burn a bridge? Why say something like that? Here's, here's my and if you guys follow me on social media, you're probably going to call bullshit on this and justifiably so. But for the most part, I have this unwritten rule, right? I, don't, I should write it on the back of my hand because I got to remind myself a couple times a day is if, if there's no money in it, don't say it. 
If there's no money in it, don't tweet it. If there's no money in it, don't even think it. It's a waste of time and energy. And when I say money, I don't necessarily mean, you know, a, a, a transaction. But if there's, if, if you're going to say something that's not going to benefit you in any way, shape or form, it's not going to make you more attractive as a character. It's not going to make you more interesting as an individual. It's not going to open up any doors. It's not going to do anything. It's just you venting um, or one venting, I should say. Um, then why do it? Especially if it's something that can be hurtful to somebody. Why do that? Now, if it's a work, if it's a setup, if you're just trying to stir the pot to gauge some interest, okay, that's different. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that myself. It, it's kind of like market research in a way. But I try really hard not to tweet things, say things, do things just for the sake of doing them if there isn't a positive reason for it. It doesn't always have to be money. If there's not a positive outcome in, in what you're going to tweet, say, do, or think, well, fucking why do it? It's a, it's a waste of your energy. So, I'm, I, I, and I think unless there's some kind of ulterior motive with Rhonda in WWE to make a statement like that, it was just a, it was just something to say for the sake of saying it that had no positive outcome to it. Speaking well, of positive outcomes, sorry. Everybody right now. Speaking of positive outcomes, this is by far the most super chats we've ever had on a broadcast. Thomas Gidlow gave us $20 American, says he listens to 83 weeks all the time. No question. I just, no question. Just thank you for all of the content. Let me scroll up so I can get to everyone. Uh, Ken Terminated by Google said, Eric, I'm surprised you said such good things about Paul Heyman. When Paul Heyman is asked about you, he doesn't have much to, I think he doesn't think much for you. I think he doesn't have much let's, to say let's at all. Let's just wrap up on Thomas's uh, great sentiment that he <laughs> said, Eric, what you do really helps during this time. And uh, I want to, I want to, echo that as well. We love to come and hang out with you for an hour. This is like a fun party with us all together. So thank you to all the live chatters for hanging out with us. Guys, anything you want to plug? Uh, you can follow me at G-Hermosa, G-H-E-R-M-O-Z-A. Uh, the Ronda thing's a work, so um, it's all good. <laughs> no, it's not. She's just an ass. Steve? <laughs> uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter almost exclusively at Steve Coffin. That is K-A-U-F-M-A-N-N. Thank you all so much for the super chats. I'm heavily involved in the pro wrestling YouTube space. If I'm tweeting the link, chances are I'm involved. Do you know what Eric and Conrad will be covering next week, Steve? Um, Spring Stampede 2000? I'm pretty sure it's Spring Stampede. Yes! You got it right. You know what? I feel bad because I know I talk so much. I probably turn a, you know, a half hour show into 45 minutes. And therefore, a lot of people, you know, come up with these questions. So get them answered. Steve, let's, let's do another night. Uh, Friday nights are bad. You pick a night. Let's do it Thursday night if you have time and let's just do a YouTube chat where people can, we'll do it for an hour or an hour and a half tomorrow night. If you have time, I'll make it happen. Yeah. We'll, we'll follow up and do another one of these. Cause I know I talked too much and I'm sorry and I don't want to leave people hanging. So I let's do more, it. I got more TNA questions. <laughs> oh, we just love to squeeze every bit of out of you. We can till five fifty nine, Eric. Um, thank you guys so much. That is really cool. You're going to do that for the fans. Make sure you guys tune into that tomorrow night on the 83 weeks channel and uh, come back here again next week for more after 83 weeks. Thank you, Eric. Keep rocking through quarantine. Uh, good to see you guys, my faves. And thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. See you next week, guys. See ya. 
Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.